Chapter Eight of the Secret City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Secret City by Hugh Walpole. Chapter Eight. I was to meet Jerry Lawrence sooner than I had expected, and it was in this way. Two days after the evening that I have just described, I was driven to go and see Vera Mikolaevna. I was driven partly by my curiosity partly by my depression, and partly by my loneliness. This same loneliness was, I believe, at this time, beginning to affect us all. I should be considered, perhaps, to be speaking with exaggeration if I were to borrow the title of one of Mrs. Oliphant's old-fashioned and charming novels, and to speak of Petrograd as already a beleaguered city, beleaguered, moreover, in very much the same sense as that other old city was. From the very beginning of the war Petrograd was isolated, isolated not by the facts of the war its geographical position or any of the obvious causes but simply by the contempt and hatred with which it was regarded from very old days it was spoken of as a german town if you want to know russia don't go to petrograd simply a cosmopolitan town like any other a smaller berlin and so on and so on this sense of outside contempt influenced its own attitude to the world it was always at war with moscow it showed you when you first arrived its nevsky its ordered squares its official buildings as though it would say i suppose you will take the same view as the rest if you don't wish to look any deeper here you are i'm not going to help you as the war developed it lost whatever gaiety and humor it had after the fall of warsaw the attitude of the russian people in general became fatalistic much nonsense was talked in the foreign press about russia coming back again and again russia the harder she was pressed the harder she resisted and the ghost of napoleon retreating from moscow was presented to every home in europe but the plain truth was that after warsaw the temper of the people changed things were going wrong once more as they had always gone wrong in russian history and as they always would go wrong then followed bewilderment what to do whose fault was it all shall we blame our blood or our rulers our rulers certainly as we always with justice have blamed them our blood too perhaps from the fall of warsaw in spite of momentary flashes of splendor and courage the russians were a blindfolded naked people fighting a nation fully armed now europe was vast continents away and only germany that old germany whose soul was hateful whose practical spirit was terribly admirable was close at hand the russian people turned hither and thither first to its czar then to its generals then to its democratic spirit then to its idealism and there was no hope anywhere they appealed for liberty in the autumn of nineteen sixteen a great prayer from the whole country went up that the bandage might be taken from its eyes and soon when the light did at last come the eyes should be so unused to it that they should see nothing nicholas had his opportunity the greatest opportunity perhaps ever offered to man he refused it from that moment the easiest way was closed and only a most perilous rocky path remained with every week of that winter of nineteen sixteen petrograd stepped deeper and deeper into the darkness its strangeness grew and grew upon me as the days filed through i wondered whether my illness and the troubles of the preceding year made me see everything at an impossible angle or was it perhaps my isolated lodging my crumbling rooms with the great expanse of sea and sky in front of them that was responsible whatever it was petrograd soon came to me a place with the most terrible secret life of its own 
there is an old poem of pushkin's that alexandre benoit has most marvellously illustrated which has for its theme the rising of the river neva in november eighteen twenty four on that occasion the splendid animal devoured the town and in pushkin's poem you can feel the devastating power of the beast and in benoit's pictures you can see it licking its lips as it swallowed down pillars and bridges and streets and squares with poor little fragments of humanity clutching and crying and fruitlessly appealing this poem only emphasized for me the suspicion that i had originally had that the great river and the marshy swamp around it despised contemptuously the buildings that man had raised beside and upon it and that even the buildings in their turn despised the human beings who thronged them it could only be some sense of this kind that could make one so repeatedly conscious that one's feet were treading ancient ground the town raised all of a piece by peter the great could claim no ancient history at all but through every stick and stone that had been laid there stirred the spirit and soul of the ground so that out of one of the sluggish canals one might expect at any moment to see the horrid and scaly head of some paleolithic monster with dead and greedy eyes slowly push its way up that it might gaze at the little black hurrying atoms as they crossed and recrossed the grey bridge there are many places in petrograd where life is utterly dead where some building half completed has fallen into red and green decay where the water lies still under iridescent scum and thick clotted reeds seem to stand at bay concealing in their depths some terrible monster at such a spot i have often fancied that the eyes of countless inhabitants of that earlier world are watching me and that not far away the waters of neva are gathering 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 their mighty momentum for some instant when with a great heave and swell they will toss the whole fabric of brick and mortar from their shoulders flood the streets and squares and then sink tranquilly back into great sheets of unruffled waters marked only with the reeds and the sharp cry of some travelling bird all this may be fantastic enough i only know that it was sufficiently real to me during the winter of nineteen sixteen to be ever at the back of my mind and i believe that some sense of that kind had in all sober reality something to do with that strange weight of uneasy anticipation that we all of us yes the most unimaginative amongst us felt at this time upon this afternoon when i went to pay my call on vera mikhailovna the real snow began to fall we had had the false preliminary attempt a fortnight before now in the quiet persistent determination the solid soft resilience beneath one's feet and the patient acquiescence of roofs and bridges and cobbles one knew that the real winter had come already although it was only four o'clock in the afternoon there was darkness with the strange almost metallic glow as of the light from an inverted looking-glass that snow makes upon the air i had not far to go but the long stretch of the ekaterinovsky canal was black and gloomy and desolate repeating here and there the pale yellow reflection of some lamp but for the most part dim and dead with the hulks of barges lying like sleeping monsters on its surface as i turned into angliski prospect i found stretched like a black dado far down the street against the wall a queue of waiting women they would be there until the early morning many of them and it was possible that then the bread would not be sufficient and this not from any real lack but simply from the mistakes of the bungling peculating government no wonder that one's heart was heavy i found vera mikhailovna to my relief alone when sasha brought me into the room she was doing what i think i had never seen her do before sitting unoccupied her eyes staring in front of her her hands folded on her lap 
i don't believe that i've ever caught you idle before vera mikhailovna i said oh i'm glad you've come she caught my hand with an eagerness very different from her usual calm quiet greeting sit down it's an extraordinary thing at that very moment i was wishing for you what is it i can do for you i ask you know that i would do anything for you yes i know that you would but well you can't help me because i don't know what's the matter with me that's very unlike you i said yes i know it is and perhaps that's why i'm frightened it's so vague and you know i long ago determined that if i couldn't define a trouble and have it there in front of me so that i could strangle it i wouldn't bother about it but those things are so easy to say she got up and began to walk up and down the room that again was utterly unlike her and altogether i seemed to be seeing this afternoon some quite new vera mikhailovna someone more intimate more personal more appealing i realized suddenly that she had never before at any period of our friendship asked for my help not even for my sympathy she was so strong and reliant and independent cared so little for the opinion of others and shut down so closely upon herself her private life that i could not have imagined her asking help from any one and of the two of us she was the man the strong determined soul the brave and self-reliant character it seemed to me ludicrous that she should ask for my help nevertheless i was greatly touched i would do anything for you i said she turned to me a splendid figure her head with its crown of black hair lifted her hands on her hips her eyes gravely regarding me there are three things she said perhaps all of them nothing and yet all of them disturbing first my husband he's beginning to drink again drink i said where can he get it from i don't know i must discover but it isn't the actual drinking everyone in our country drinks if he can only what has made my husband break his resolve he was so proud of it you know how proud he was and he lies about it he says he's not drinking he never used to lie about anything that was not one of his faults perhaps his inventions i suggested poof his inventions you know better than that ivan andreevich no no it is something he's not himself well then secondly there's nina the other night did you notice anything only that she lost her temper but she's always doing that no it's more than that she's unhappy and i don't like the life she's leading always out at cinematographs and theatres and restaurants and with a lot of boys who mean no harm i know but they're idiotic they're no good now when the war's like this and the suffering to be always at the cinematograph but i've lost my authority over her ivan andreevich she doesn't care any longer what i say to her once and not so long ago i meant so much to her she's changed she's harder more careless more selfish you know ivan andreevich that nina's simply everything to me i don't talk about myself do i but at least i can say that since oh many many years she's been the whole world and more than the whole world to me our mother and father were killed in a railway accident coming up from odessa when nina was very small and since then nina's been mine all mine she said that word with sudden passion flinging it at me with a fierce gesture of her hands do you know what it is to want that something should belong to you belong entirely to you and to no one else i've been too proud to say but i've wanted that terribly all my life i haven't had children although i prayed for them and perhaps now it is as well but nina she's known she was mine and until now she's loved to know it but now she's escaping from me and she knows that too and is ashamed i think i could bear anything but that sense that she herself has that she's being wrong 
I hate her to be ashamed. Perhaps, I suggested, it's time that she went out into the world now and worked. There are a thousand things that a woman can do. No, not Nina. I've spoiled her, perhaps. I don't know. I always like to feel that she needed my help. I didn't want to make her too self-reliant. That was wrong of me, and I shall be punished for it. Speak to her, I said. She loves you so much that one word from you to her will be enough. No, Vera Mikhailovna said slowly, it won't be enough now. A year ago, yes, but now she's escaping as fast as she can. Perhaps she's in love with someone, I suggested. No, I should have seen at once if it had been that. I would rather it were that. I think she would come back to me then. No, I suppose that this had to happen. I was foolish to think that it would not, but it leaves one alone. It— She pulled herself up at that, regarding me with sudden shyness, as though she would forbid me to hint that she had shown the slightest emotion, or made it in any way an appeal for pity. I was silent. Then I said, "'And the third thing, Vera Mikhailovna? Uncle Alexei is coming back.' That startled me. I felt my heart give one frantic leap. "'Alexei Petrovich?' I cried. "'When? How soon?' "'I don't know. I've had a letter.' She felt in her dress, found the letter, and read it through. "'Soon, perhaps. He's leaving the front for good. He's disgusted with it all,' he says. "'He's going to take up his Petrograd practice again. Will he live with you?' "'No! God forbid!' She felt then, perhaps, that her cry had revealed more than she intended, because she smiled, and trying to speak slightly, said, "'No, we're old enemies, my uncle and I. We don't get on. He thinks me sentimental, and I think him—but never mind what I think him. He has a bad effect on my husband.' "'A bad effect?' I repeated. "'Yes, he irritates him. He laughs at his inventions, you know.' I nodded my head. "'Yes, with my earlier experience of him, I could understand that he would do that.' "'He's a cynical, embittered man,' I said. "'He believes in nothing, and in nobody. And yet he has his fine side.' "'No, he has no fine side,' she interrupted me fiercely. "'None. He is a bad man. I've known him all my life, and I'm not to be deceived.' Then, in a softer, quieter tone, she continued, "'But tell me, Ivan Andreevich, I've wanted before to ask you. You were with him on the front last year. We have heard that he had a great love affair there, and that the sister whom he loved was killed. Is that true?' "'Yes,' I said, "'that is true. Was he very much in love with her?' "'I believe terribly. And it hurt him deeply when she was killed?' "'Desperately deeply.' But what kind of woman was she? What type? It's so strange to me, Uncle Alexei, with his love affairs. I looked up, smiling. She was your very opposite, Vera Mikhailovna, in everything. Like a child, with no knowledge, no experience, no self-reliance, nothing. She was wonderful in her ignorance and bravery. We all thought her wonderful. And she loved him? Yes, she loved him. How strange! Perhaps there is some good in him somewhere. But to us, at any rate, he always brings trouble. This affair may have changed him. They say he is very different. Worse, perhaps. She broke out then into a cry. I want to get away, Ivan Andreevich. To get away, to escape, to leave Russia and everything in it behind me. To escape. It was just then that Sasha knocked on the door. She came in to say that there was an Englishman in the hall inquiring for the other Englishman who had come yesterday, that he wanted to know when he would be back. "'Perhaps I can help,' I said. I went out into the hall, and there I found Jerry Lawrence. He stood there in the dusk of the little hall, looking as resolute and unconcerned as an Englishman, in a strange and uncertain world, is expected to look. 
not that he ever considered the attitudes fitting to adopt on certain occasions. He would tell you, if you inquired, that he couldn't stand those fellows who looked into every glass they passed. His brow wore a simple and innocent frown like that of a healthy baby presented for the first time with a strange and alarming rattle. It was only later that I was to arrive at some faint conception of Lawrence's marvellous acceptance of anything that might happen to turn up. Vice, cruelty, unsuspected beauty, terror, remorse, hatred, and ignorance. He accepted them all once they were there in front of him. He sometimes, as I shall on a later occasion show, allowed himself a free expression of his views in the company of those whom he could trust, but they were never the views of a suspicious or disappointed man. It was not that he had great faith in human nature, he had, I think, very little, nor was he without curiosity, far from it. But once a thing was really there, he wasted no time over exclamations as to the horror or beauty or abomination of its actual presence. There was once explained to me precious little time to waste. Those who thought him a dull, silent fellow, and they were many, made of course an almost ludicrous mistake but most people in life are i take it too deeply occupied with their own personal history to do more than estimate at its surface value the appearance of others but after all such a dispensation makes in all probability for the general happiness on this present occasion jerry lawrence stood there exactly as i had seen him stand many times on the football field waiting for the referee's whistle his thick short body held together his mouth shut and his eyes on guard he did not at first recognize me. "'You've forgotten me,' I said. "'I beg your pardon,' he answered in a husky, good-natured voice, like the rumble of an amiable bulldog. "'My name is Derward,' I said, holding out my hand, and years ago we had a mutual friend in Olva Dune. That pleased him. He gripped my hand very heartily and smiled a big, ugly smile. "'Why, yes,' he said. "'Of course. How are you? Feeling fit? Damned long ago, all that was, isn't it? Hope you're really fit.' "'Oh, I'm all right,' I answered." I was never a Hercules, you know. I heard that you were here from Bohun. I was going to write you, but it's excellent that we should meet like this. I was after young Bohun, he explained. But it's pleasant to find there's another fellow in the town, one knows. I've been a bit at sea these two days. To tell you the truth, I never wanted to come. I heard a rumble in his throat that sounded like silly blighters. Come in, I said. You must meet Madame Markovitch, with whom Bohun is staying. And then wait a bit. He won't be long, I expect." The idea of this seemed to fill Jerry with alarm. He turned back toward the door. Oh, I don't think. She won't want. Better another time. His mouth was filled with indistinct rumblings. Nonsense. I caught his arm. She is delightful. You must make yourself at home here. They'll be only too glad. Does she speak English? he asked. No, I answered. But that's all right. He backed again towards the door. My Russian's so slow, he said. Never been here since I was a kid. I'd rather not, really. However, I dragged him in and introduced him. I had quite a fatherly desire, as I watched him, that he should make good, but I'm afraid that the first interview was not a great success. Vera Mikhailovna was strange that afternoon, excited and disturbed as I had never known her, and I could see that it was only with the greatest difficulty that she could bring herself to think about Jerry at all, and Jerry himself was so unresponsive that I could have beaten him. Why, you're duller than you used to be, I thought to myself, and wondered how I could have suspected in those days subtle depths and mysterious comprehensions. Vera Mikhailovna asked him questions about France and London, but quite obviously did not listen to his answers. After ten minutes he pulled himself up slowly from his chair. Well, I must be going, he said. Tell young Bohun I shall be waiting for him tonight. 7.30. Astoria. 
he turned to vera mikhailovna to say good-bye and then suddenly as she rose and their eyes met they seemed to strike some unexpected chord of sympathy it took both of them i think by surprise for a moment they stared at one another please come whenever you want to see your friend she said we shall be delighted thank you he answered simply and went when he had gone she said to me i like that man one could trust him yes one could i answered her end of chapter eight recording by violet blue of albertville